when we were in front of consumers, we were picking up a lot on like, I don't know, you get into this rut with, with wine, you know, like I only drink Chardonnay or I hate Sauvignon Blanc. And to us, that was always like, God, if only people just have an open mind, like there's so much wine out there and there's so many wines to try that, that you might be surprised. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guests are Arden Gilfillan and Margot Reem, founders of Argo. Argo is an online wine company whose mission is to provide wine for every table, every occasion, and every day through nationwide wine deliveries and their best-selling blind taste kits. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Thanks for having us. So, so excited to get into this. Um, I know we were chatting a few minutes ago. But I am very excited. I have a personal vested interest in wine, and um, I just feel like this is going to be possibly one of my favorites. <laughs> Hopefully. I, I wish we had some wine in our glasses right now. I know. Wine. I was going to say, I said that to Sam, actually, I think maybe last week or something. I said we probably should have done like more of a happy hour type setup. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe next time. <laughs> so I'm so excited. So we have Arden and Margot, and I think what we'll do is kind of start with whoever would like to go first and learn a little bit about your background. So do do you guys have a preference? Um, no. <laughs> okay, Arden A first letter. Let's go there. Arden, tell me kind of how you got interested in wine, where you went to school, what is your background in the gist? Okay, so I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Midwest represent. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found or I discovered my passion for cooking when I was about 15. So like the very first, I, I think I was, my parents had had a, a home in California that we spent time at during the summers and I knew no one there coming from Wisconsin. So when I was a 15 year old, you know, summers with my family, I didn't have much going on. Right. So I found this interest in cooking. And I just re remember one summer, just being bored one day and saying, Hey, I guess I'll make dinner for my family. So I opened up a cookbook and I made chicken piccata. And really, it, it sounds cliche. But I feel like ever since then, I just thought, wow, this is fun. I really like it. Um, and I was cooking ever since that summer. So I would do you know, even in high school, have friends over for dinners and, you know, make chili for the Packer parties and things like that. So I always knew from an early age that I had an interest in, in cooking and I mean, call it hospitality. Now I didn't know what that was when I was 15, but mm -hmm. <laughs> really, um, entertaining. And I always loved hosting. So having people over and stuff like that. So when I went to school, um, when I was applying for schools, I was all over the board. I was like one of those those teenagers that was just like, there's endless options, you know, opportunities. And <laughs> I had big dreams, um, whether it was something in the culinary arts, or I even like wanted to be a dancer. 
lovely. I loved to dance and I thought, oh, I could be a professional. Did you ever take dance classes? No, like I was, that was just like my mindset though. Like anything was possible. The world was your oyster. That's fine. That's fine. Um, She also loves Julia Child or what's it? Not not Julia Child. No, Julia Julia Stiles. Oh, yes. Yes. Favorite last dance. Yeah. So that's Um, who you're trying to do. Favorite movie. So (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I knew that I was creative. So I wanted like I being an artist or like anything like that just interested me. So when I got to school, I went to the university of Arizona in Tucson really just because I was not an academic, like I did not have the best of grades. So I had trouble actually getting accepted into undergrad. And my parents moved from Wisconsin out to Arizona when I graduated high school. So it was more about like in-state tuition than anything else. And I got into U of A, uh, Harvard of the West. And I went through various majors, as you can probably assume just with my intro so far. Um, I was studying communications, Spanish, like I wanted to get into journalism and and photography. So I actually created my own major uh, through interdisciplinary studies that I ended up not pursuing because I wasn't good at math and I couldn't get into school. So (laughs) I would have had to extend my time at U of A if I decided to go through with journalism. So I went to my counselor and I was like, what can I take that like based on what credits I have now, it's going to allow me to graduate on time. And it was creative writing. So I ended up graduating with a bachelor of arts in creative writing. And then I had a minor in fashion. And I have to say like most of my college career was spent like with Margot, which we'll talk about more later, but like in the kitchen cooking and throwing dinner parties and kind of diving into the world of wine because Mm -hmm. My parents loved wine. My dad would drop off cases of wine, you know, that he had at home for me to enjoy with friends in in college. So we were very mature drinkers. (laughs) Um, But I also, just part of my background too, is uh, growing up, I had many physical ailments. So I was one of those people in a back brace. I had scoliosis and kyphosis. I wore a back brace for an entire year, like 20 hours a day. (laughs) It was pretty mortifying, but Um, I also had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So I say that because I was always doing some sort of physical therapy. So fitness was always like a huge part of my life because I was lucky enough to discover those ailments really early on as a child. So I was just constantly aware of like my posture and how my body felt and wanting to fix those things because I was an athlete as well. So I played varsity tennis and I was very active. So I always wanted to be proactive about fixing any aches or pains that I I had. So fast forward into college, I was really passionate about Pilates. Um, It was a form of physical therapy for me. It really saved me, I think, like looking back on where I could be, you know, today Mm -hmm. as an almost 30 year old with my physical health. Um, And I've been doing Pilates ever since. So throughout college as you know, a, a job that I took on and honestly probably invested more hours into this than in my academic career. But I was a Pilates teacher through a very well-known um, kind of Pilates hub that's based in Tucson called Fletcher Pilates. So I taught there for the three years in college and that was kind of my career like right after college before we started the company. Awesome. That's so interesting. There are like 
I don't even know where to start because there's like a couple things I could touch on. I also yeah. feel like we would have been friends for sure <laughs> in college for sure. I have yeah. very similar interests. I was a little bit of like a geeky high schooler with the back brace and all those things going. Yeah, well, and glasses. Yeah. I um I was also an athlete in college. I ran cross country and track, and um, although my wine palette did not develop until later. I do remember a particular time where, um, so at my school it was like the athletic houses used to hang out together, not like a sorority fraternity type thing. And yeah. we wanted desperately to have like a nice evening. And so my friends and I, we were like, we want to have a dinner party. We'll invite the boys house over. We'll do like a little co-ed dinner party. We were so excited. We got all dressed up and they brought over and I kid you not, we were going to do like a charcuterie, like a cheese and wine. They brought over Ritz crackers on a plate and cold <laughs> American cheese slices. Oh. That was it. So that was probably not the type of dinner parties you guys were having, but um, <laughs> we tried. My heart was there. <laughs> the It just wasn't, mm -mm, it wasn't the best, but very cool. And so, Margo, did you also go to the University of Arizona then? Yes. Um, so Arden and I met our freshman year of college. Okay, awesome. And then how did you get interested in the wine world? Um, I grew up cooking with my mom in the kitchen. Um, she, she worked for Bon Appetit when I was younger. Um, and so she always loved being in the kitchen. I'd call her a chef. She wasn't a chef, but she had a passion for for cooking and I come from a big family. So she was just always in the kitchen. It seems like cooking for um, the family and all of our friends and whoever else was at the house. Um, so I, I kind of found a love for it fairly early. Um, I don't really remember a time that I, that I didn't cook. Um, and I almost, I thought about going to culinary school out of high school, um, but you know, kind of figured I should take more of the traditional route. It was, you know, going to culinary school was a big decision at 18 when you weren't like for sure certain mm -hmm. that that was the path that you wanted to take. Um, so going to the University of Arizona, all of my siblings actually went there. So um, I kind of followed the pack in terms of, of going there. And um, Arda and I met our freshman year and we really bonded over um the fact that we didn't have kitchens to cook in <laughs> so we you know we both loved to cook and we lived in the dorms and you know there's no there's no kitchens there mm -hmm. so we kind of bonded over our love of cooking and we would go home for thanksgiving break and christmas and talk about what you know meals we made for the family and what new recipes we discovered whatever it was um and kind of just through all of that it came pretty organically Obviously, we liked to drink um, and kind of the art of entertaining and hosting dinner parties, like Arden, Arden was saying that we, we did so often in college, just naturally brought wine into the, into the equation. Mm -hmm. um, we also, I also studied creative writing um, in college uh, with a minor in history, and so Arden and I got really creative senior year during our, like, during our classes, writing about wine and all of the nuances of, of wine and our, 
and we would sit at wine bars and just drink a bottle of wine and write and talk about all of these ideas of things we wanted to start. Um, but I, I mean, same sort of thing. It really came from food first mm-hmm. and then, um, through food discovered wine. I particularly really loved the history aspect of wine. Um, so that clicked with me and, um, to this day, it's a continued passion that I don't think I'm going to get sick of. No, and I feel like it makes sense that it came from food first, right? Like versus mm-hmm. the other way around. Would it be weird if it started with wine and then you had to try and conceptualize, you know, what went with what and the tasting and everything like that? I feel like it, it it's such a natural occurrence to have started with food, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, it helps a lot um, in terms of doing those food and wine pairings and, um, you know, being able to smell a wine and in your mind say, okay, this smells like oregano. This smells like dried thyme. This smells like, you know, the different, the different things that you get in wine often is a food product. So, I think it's more relatable to right. um, the general consumer. You know, that's, that's what we're doing all day every day is just talking to consumers and a lot of the times like they're not going to be able to click or relate if we're just throwing wine terms at them so mm-hmm. if we can kind of bring it back full circle to well what are you eating tonight you know that's when the conversation gets interesting right and then you're both certified sommeliers is that right yes that's so cool oh, i almost <laughs> did that once i regret it there's still time there's still time <laughs> so let's talk about argo then and then you guys started the company, was it 2014 or 15? Um, technically 15. Yeah, 15, beginning of 15. Okay. And the original, can you kind of walk me through the original concept for the company? Was it just wine delivery to start? No. Um, the company actually started doing, we were doing in-home wine tastings. In-home, uh, Okay. Yeah, so Arden and I both graduated from the International Culinary Center, um, their intensive sommelier training program there. And we passed our uh, introductory exam and then our level one certified exam, sommelier exam there. And then um, Arden was teaching Pilates and she was actually home for the holidays in Arizona and decided to, her parents were having a Packer party and she decided to throw to have a wine tasting um just to kind of like showcase what she had learned for her parents friends and her parents and she called me after and I remember her saying you know we should do this on the side they loved it um it was super fun to do we'll just host these you know nobody can access the knowledge of a song without going to you know an expensive restaurant and then you know a guy coming up in a suit you know, asking you what you want. You're intimidated. You don't know what to ask. You don't know how to articulate mm-hmm. the type of wine that you like, the different nuances. Um, so we really found that it was, there was this lack of um, approachability to wine and wine knowledge. And we felt like if we could bring that into your home to a very casual setting with your friends, we could kind of open up the world of wine to people in a casual and approachable way. That's so awesome. And then, so you just started traveling around and doing that. Were people interested right off the bat? Yeah, we, I mean, Arden and I kept our, like our daytime jobs for about a year. Um, So we were doing it on the side until it it got to be too much, but people really found an interest in it right away. Um, 
and it grew very organically from there. So we went from, you know, just in-home wine tastings to wine dinners, um, pop-up parties, chef collaborations. And from there, you know, got our retail license to sell wine be very organically because our customers at these dinner parties that we would host, you know, wanted to buy the wine. So we, we just followed once we got a, you know, a significant customer following, we just followed their requests and that's really how we got here today. Mm -hmm. And then the blind taste kit, was that a late edition, perhaps a COVID edition? (laughs) (laughs) Most certainly. (laughs) Um, yeah, that was actually, um, something that developed from an item that we had every October for two years before COVID we had a wine club and every October we, um, we called it kind of like the blind taste, the boo box, the question mark, you know, wrapping paper of, um, it's a Halloween themed wine club box that you would get every October and you wouldn't know what it was. And it would, the idea behind it would be just to have a blind tasting with your friends, um, possibly on Halloween or whenever you're entertaining the month of October. Um, so we really kind of pivoted that idea once COVID hit into the blind tasting kit quarantine edition, which is what we originally came out with. (laughs) I think it's genius. And do you guys plan on keeping that as a standard offering now? Yeah, I think uh, we saw huge success with it. It's our best seller. Um, it was throughout COVID. It still holds that spot. It's something that we really enjoy because we created it. It was inspired just by the fact that when we were in front of consumers, we were picking up a lot on like I don't know, you get into this rut with wine, you know, like I only drink Chardonnay or I hate Sauvignon Blanc. And to us, that was always like, God, if only people could just have an open mind. Like there's so much wine out there and there's so many wines to try that that you might be surprised with, mm-hmm. right? So the blind tasting experience, like aside from having the blind tasting kit itself as a product, before COVID and when we were doing like these in-person wine tastings, we were blind tasting people quite often because it's a really good way to learn. And it was a really like aha moment for the consumer because, you know, one of like our favorite things to do is blind taste someone on like six different Chardonnays. When when they just told you that they hate Chard because it's like Chardonnay has grown across all over the world in so many different regions. And if they taste six different ones, they're almost bound to leave loving at least three of them and just being shocked by it. So in regards to keeping it, it's kind of become like, a staple of the company and and our approach to wine. I think if anything, um, we'll just continue to enhance the experience and to build on it. I love that. I was actually telling Sam because we were having our own little wine chat beforehand. And I literally just said, my least favorite wine was Chardonnay. (laughs) (laughs) But I... I would be an open mind. I would try it again. I yeah, just, I don't, fun part. <laughs> I don't love it. Um, that's so neat. Well, I love that. I am curious with two, with two founders whose backgrounds are in creative writing. Could you walk me through what it was like to start the business, like the business plan and to go fundraise and raise money? I mean, what was that daunting for you both? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
had no idea what we were doing and we still don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, we've certainly come a long way, but I think I, I think it was in the interview before this that I said, um, cause I believe this, uh, we were so young, you know, it's like we became the certified sommeliers. I think we were 23. Um, and I think that that helps you when you're starting a business mm-hmm. so young because you're naive and like, you don't know what you're getting into. Um, and I think it's for Margot and I, it's just comical looking back because we probably chose one of the more difficult industries to try to tap into, you know, there's so much red tape. There's so many issues with compliance when you start shipping nationwide and like a lot of starting Argo was really, it just was a passion for entertaining and we've seen the company grow and we're, you know, able to, we have consumers across the entire country. And so a lot of what we do on a daily basis is not the fun part of the business right. <laughs> that, that started. And it's no complaints by any means. It's just the way that it is, but you know, it's a really difficult industry to be in. Um, so we've learned a lot along the way. And, and I think at the end of the day, like, yes, we still have so much fun. Um, but I don't know if we had waited longer, if we had maybe made a different decision just because we were so naive and we just like dove in without asking any questions. Right. Um, so it's been a long road for sure. (laughs) But I think we've had, um, a very, you know, we were very aware of what our strengths were and what our weaknesses were. And we've kind of always had this, this mindset of surrounding ourselves with smarter people, um, you know, experts in areas that we aren't experts in. Mm -hmm. Um, So from a really, like from the beginning, we were very lucky that we found, um, you know, a few great mentors um, that had, you know, experience in the business industry, um, retail, whatever it was. And we've, you know, clung on to those helpful people. (laughs) Hey, it's Sam. I hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. If you want to learn more about the wonderful ladies at Argo, be sure to keep an eye out on startupblogpost.com for an extended look into their journey. Up next, Arden and Margot tell us about their favorite wines, their upcoming project, and how they personally measure success. Do you recall a particular time or, um, I guess, an impactful moment being female founders? Um, I mean, I think that we, I, the wine industry is, it's a interesting industry because, um, it's a little bit archaic. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, historically run by old men, um, (laughs) until, until, you know, recently. Right. And I think, you know, there were certain things that once we started the company that, I don't necessarily know if I, if I defi- would define it more as because we were female, as opposed to because we were so young. Um, it was hard to get people to take us seriously, mm-hmm. um, and that I feel like the youth of it was more of a hurdle personally than you know being female. I don't know how do you feel. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that we've. I don't, 
looking back, I think we kind of knew this deep down that like there was an opportunity, like we wanted to start this business because we like saw the opportunity to be women in wine. Like there was not many. Um, And I think that it's been really great and it's been a wonderful opportunity and, you know, the past, yeah, six, seven years to be a part of like this, I don't really want to call it a movement, but just kind of like this uprising of females in the wine in, um, industry. So I, I think subconsciously, not even subconsciously, but like we knew that that was an opportunity and we kind of wanted to be like at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And then I think that there would be, um, challenges, but at the end of the day, it would benefit us tremendously, like tremendously. Yeah, you know, like I our think, perspective and I think we saw it more so as rather than being intimidating, it it's was an opportunity that we were excited to to be kind of the underdogs in this industry that was, I think when we got into it at this kind of pivotal turning point of starting to modernize and starting to, you know, people, the general public was starting to have mass interest in it. I think really those Psalm documentaries on Netflix mm-hmm. helped that a lot. Um, but I think that there was almost like this movement of just mass interest in the wine industry and the wine world. And, um, you know, females were very obviously underrepresented in that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you guys for jumping in on behalf of other female wine lovers. <laughs> Um, to get into like the nitty gritty too, how and where do you source your wine from? We source our wine from all over the world. We do specialize in, um, sustainably farmed, small production, um, family owned. And that really came, uh, from, you know, personally what we like to consume, but also the people that we like to work with and, um, we feel good about, um, supporting. And so we source, you know, directly from a lot of our wineries in California and domestically. And then, um, we work with a handful of producers internationally that we direct import ourselves. And then a handful of distributors and importers in the United States that follow the same, um, protocol of sourcing that we do. Awesome. And then I am curious, I would be remiss if I did not ask, what is it like working as, as best friends? Um, it is, it's very fun. It, I think in the beginning, you know, as we were trying to figure out our stride, it was tough. We definitely went through like a rough patch. We were also living together at the time. So that's a lot of time. (laughs) It's a lot of time with one person. Um, but it's, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's really fun. Um, it's to know someone as well as we do. We know how we communicate. Um, we know how we both think, um, the decisions that we make, we have a lot of kind of internal dialogue. I think, um, that helps us make decisions in like a very it's almost like the more that we know each other and the more that we work together, the easier it is to make harder decisions um, in a weird convoluted way. But we're actually now somewhat family. 
So that makes it a a double, double whammy here where it's got to work. I married Margot's, well, wait, Margot's sister's husband is my husband's brother. There's an easier way to say that, but... (laughs) Jordan married my brother-in-law's little brother. Your brother-in-law's little brother. Okay. That's really cool. There's no getting out of this really. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I will say though, like we do get asked that a ton. And I, I think that, you know, it it, it is extremely unique, the relationship Mm -hmm. that we have. And I think, I don't know if that's just true friendship or whatever you want to call it, but I think that we were really invested in the company when it first started and like we still are but I think that there was a lot of struggle with that because we were living together and you know we both wanted something so badly and I think we like had without even really talking about it but like I think we both just knew that we had to make a decision to just be as open with each other as possible Mm -hmm. or else it wasn't gonna work like you can't hold things back you can't you know listen to them talking and then like not say what you're actually thinking and so I think it's just like that open line of communication just we decided like year two you know we're like okay this is gonna keep going we have to make sure that we're always honest with each other and you know never let something be left unsaid right right and I think that's kind of true of any relationship as well and you know throughout the podcast we've had the pleasure of talking to a couple spouse co-founders and also some siblings which was cool too Mm -hmm. yeah so really cool I love a a unique a unique pairing and obviously you guys are making it work so yeah so cool um I am curious for you both you mentioned the type of wine that you like to drink what is the type of wine that you like to drink oh god um I think as a company and the two of us we can both say Burgundy, white Burgundy is, is a, is a favorite of ours. So Chardonnay from France. Okay. Um, Probably in general, just like old world yeah. style. Um, yeah, technically, I mean, in terms of our book and the portfolio that we have online, we're over 50% French. Um, I would say 75% old world. So French, Italian, Spanish. Um, I think right now I have a certain like affinity with, uh, Southern Italian whites, kind of island wines from Mount Etna and uh, Sicily, Sardinia. And um, some of those just like salty, bright whites from Italy. I'm, I'm having, they're having a moment for me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think um, if I'm, when I'm drinking, if I'm drinking throughout the week, come on. Um, <laughs> when I'm drinking throughout the week, I'm definitely like, I go towards whites um, in general. And then like Margot said, and definitely more like mineral, old world in style. Um, and I think overall our portfolio and the wines that we prefer are definitely food friendly too. kind of bring it full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning. Um, always looking for wine that can be paired alongside an array of foods. Mm-hmm. So cool. I definitely need to have a glass of wine now, but um, it's like hard to talk about it and not have it. Um, so as far as like division of labor, it looks like Arden, you do the, more of the sales and marketing and Margot, it's, you're the lead buyer. Is that kind of how it works? 
Yes. Um, yeah. So Arden handles um, and oversees the sales and marketing, and then I do our sourcing for our online shop. Um, and I work closely with Lexi, who um, is another partner that we brought on, um, who handles our import and distribution side of mm-hmm. the business. So we work closely together to um, source all of the wine for the company. And then what are the main goals that you both have for yourself and the company kind of moving forward as you look ahead to the next, you know, five to 10 years? Oh, All right. Where's the wine? Yeah. Where's the wine? <laughs> depends on the day. Depends on the week. Um, we have a lot of goals, <laughs> I think, uh, for the company. And we've actually been having a lot of these conversations recently um, as we, you know, are getting into our OND October, November, December, which is our busiest time of the year and looking looking into the next year. Um, you know, I think as a company, we are working really hard to work on our experience-based products, like our blind tasting kit, as well as our gifting options. Um, we find that they hold a lot of weight in terms of bringing someone not only a product, but an experience that they can share with friends and family. And it does get back to the core of the company and why we started this, which was to create an experience for people. Um, So that's in terms of a goal for the company, that's a goal for next year is honing in on those products um, and, you know, making them as the best that they could be. Um, And then Personally, I would like to be able to get married in March, which is what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's a, a goal of mine to get that, you know, actually plan the wedding and hopefully to walk down the aisle. Hopefully walk down the aisle in March. Okay. Awesome. And then could you talk a little bit about how important it is or has been for you both to kind of strike that work life balance? We are still figuring that one out. <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. It's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, for us, it's, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, we're lucky. I wouldn't call it a challenge. Like, we're lucky because we are in the business of entertaining and wine and all the good things in life. So, like, it naturally blends into our mm-hmm. Every day, you know, you go home, it's like you're opening a bottle of wine. Like, it's just always there, which I think is why we're in this and why we, we love it so much. Um, with that being said, like I was mentioning before, a lot of what we do on a daily basis has nothing to do with that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's all about building a business and, you know, working around the red tape that is shipping wine. Um, but I think, I think that it kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, really honing in on what the goals are for the company, you know, where do we want to be in, let's call it three years and making sure that we're staying focused on, you know, the goals, the strategies to get there and how we're measuring that success. Because I think it gets a little bit muddy with work-life balance, no matter what industry you're in, when you're just not clear on the direction and where you're going because then you're going to waste a lot of time doing things that, you know, aren't going to contribute to the end goal, which is when you get stressed and overwhelmed and all of a sudden so unclear about like what you're doing here. So Mm -hmm. I think it's all about just having a clear vision and a clear execution plan. And that will help, you know, you be able to go home and kind of turn off and enjoy your dinner with your husband and not feel like you got to talk through like 10,000 things. Right. Um, 
enjoy a glass of wine without yeah absolutely tearing it apart in every aspect of the wine (laughs) yeah oh my gosh does that happen to you guys now like when you go to a restaurant is it hard for you to enjoy a glass of wine without uh Tearing it apart was a strong term, but like <laughs> that was an aggressive. I term. can't. There's an adjective I can't think of, but <laughs> analyzing it maybe. Analyzing yeah. it, yes. Um, well, I we... think for me right now, I'm. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm studying for my next level and okay. my exam actually next week. Um, so I'm really deep in the analyzation of the glass of wine in front of me. Um. But when we're not, I think when I'm personally not studying, I, you know, there's definitely an aspect of analyzing the glass in front of you that I don't think we'll ever really be able to um, stop just because it's, it's truly just how we're kind of wired now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a glass of wine is a glass of wine at the end of the day. And when you're tired and you had a rough day, there's nothing more calming than just pouring yourself a glass of wine and turning on a movie. So I will say definitely, you know, it's time and place, but we can turn off when we need to. Yeah. Awesome. And then is there a particular piece of advice that you would give to another founder just getting started in their journey? Uh, I think we talked about this as well last time. Um, I had to think on it a bit, but I think I agreed with what we ended up saying, (laughs) which was just try to build, you know, that Rolodex of just resources in your back pocket as early as possible. Um, Like I, I personally, I think in the early days and I, you know, I'm still working on it, but struggled with like, yeah, we were so young and we were female and a male dominated industry so I kind of like started just naturally putting on this persona like I knew what I was doing and like fake it till you make it and it wasn't until like the past two years probably and like going through the pandemic and just having to really like reevaluate everything that you kind of have to like let the guard down and be like mm-hmm. we need help like I gotta bounce ideas off of people and like I don't know everything and you're only gonna grow if you constantly surround yourself with people who are smarter and have different ideas and different perspectives. So I think just like from the get-go, like right out of the gates, just trying to network and build that genuine network of people who are passionate about your brand, who aren't on your payroll, you know, and like Mm -hmm. have years of experience that can help you as you go through many, many challenges because there will be many challenges. Yeah. (laughs) That's one thing, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think another thing that we really stand by is, and I would definitely tell somebody who's starting a company right now, is to never lose sight of the customer, to -hmm. always listen to what your customer is saying and asking of you. Um, Because I think we we truly think that the second you lose sight of the customer and, and the needs of them is, you know, the second the the company kind of starts falling apart because they're at the end of the day going to be, you know, the voice of reason. And they're, they're going to tell you everything you need to know as to what you need to provide, what you're lacking in, what you could do better. Um, so the customers, you know, the customer feedback is really important. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then kind of to close us out, how will you both ultimately measure success for you individually, but also as the company, as it grows? 
measures <laughs> I mean, I think for me personally, this year specific last year and this year, um, there's such a roller coaster of um, just life was a roller coaster, but in terms of our industry and our business, it was a crazy roller coaster and we felt like we were kind of just trying to ride this wave and figure it out along the way. Um, but I think personally, once we have the company in, in a place where I always say I like it, I would like it to be a well-oiled machine. So we have all of our bases covered, you know, a, a lot of the time that Art and I spend is putting out fires. And I don't think as a founder, you know, that's ever going to go away, but the less fires, the better. So <laughs> the, you know, I think I will measure our success when I feel like we have a very well-oiled machine with you know, good products, sound operations, and, um, you know, just a kind of a, a churning, a churning business that, you know, we don't have to feel like we're, I don't know, putting out fires every day. So yeah, a well-oiled machine is when I'm, is when I'm going to know that we've succeeded. <laughs> Yeah, and then I think too, like I've kind of felt this way uh, as we've been growing our team, you know, just getting to a point where we can, we do as much as we can to invest in our people like right now, but again, we're a startup. So it's just kind of like all hands on deck and uh, you, we try our best to give people the, the time of day, but you know, you got to put out fires and things take priority. But I think that if, for me, a view of success as well would be you know, the well-oiled machine, but also I think a part of that is really being able, be, being able to build like a company culture that, that, you know, we're able to really invest time in, in the lives of our employees and building a team of people who are passionate about, you know, the mission that started all of us, which is just, you know, enjoying the best things in life from entertaining, you know, sitting around a dinner table and just kind of seeing that through. So we have a long way to get there, but <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? I don't think so. I think that was yeah. great for us to talk it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm Again, here for. It's always good to take a step away and yes. take time to answer questions like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for taking time to sit down. I have thoroughly enjoyed this i am going to go have a glass of wine and um yes thank you so much i really really appreciate it thank Thanks you for Emily. having us to learn more about today's guest please visit startupblogpost.com if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of sliced please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook